This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Jonathan Agnew. Welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast. We're looking back on a brilliant victory for England here at Emirates Old Trafford in a game they look destined to lose. We'll hear from Michael Vaughan and you'll get reaction from Owen Morgan, Chris Wokes and Aaron Finch. And we'll go behind the scenes to find out just how all this summer's men's games have been delivered at only two venues. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. So, England have beaten Australia by 24 runs. Australia was set uh, 232 to win this second one-day international and with it, of course, the series. They bowled out for 207, but having been 144 for two in the 31st over, Labuschagne and Finch going really well. They lost six for 22. Well, first of all, four for three in 20 balls, six for 22, eight for 63 in all, as they threw away a game that really looked to be theirs. Finch was out for 73, Labuschagne 48, but then that collapse at the end as uh, as Owen Morgan had to juggle the bowling around. He brought Joffre Archer back, he brought Chris Wokes back, and that worked. Left him a little bit exposed at the end, but the, the Curran brothers, restored to the side, did a terrific job, and Adil Rashid took uh, the last wicket. England were also in trouble at, uh, at one stage. They were 140 for six, they were 149 for eight. When Wokes was out, they got to 231 for nine, thanks to a stand of 76 between Tom Curran and Adil Rashid. Tom Curran made 37, Adil Rashid 35 not out, and gave those bowlers just enough to bowl at. So a, a terrific uh, game of cricket it was, worth, I think, just going through his bowling figures once again uh, for Wokes, 3 for 32, Archer, 3 for 34, Curran at Sam, 3 for 35, Tom Curran, though, 10 overs, 2 maidens, no wicket for 28, and to go with those runs, 37 not out, uh, 30, he was actually out, sorry, 37 out. It's not often, I don't think, that a bowler might be considered man of the match for getting no wickets. <laughs> but uh, he had a, he, he's got to be in the, he's got to be in the frame, Michael Vaughan. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's something about this England side, and it has been the case for a year or two, that they just never stop believing. You know, they just win games of cricket uh, and change the momentum of games with pure belief and wonderful skill. Um, Australia, what can I say about them, but that was done. Yes. You know, the pitch was, wasn't an easy one, but, you know, some of the shots and, you know, you go, Glenn Maxwell just misses a straight one. The captain himself, he's set, he's in. All right, did a little bit, Chris Wokes' his delivery, but you shouldn't be getting out to that kind of delivery when you're in controlling the game. Australia in that dressing, they know they should have won the series tonight. Mm, I mean, it was an easy game for them to win. Um, but this England side, you give them a little bit of a sniff, you know, you give them a little bit of hope of winning, and very rarely... So they miss out. You know, you go back to that 149 for eight in that first innings when England are batting and all of a sudden, Adil Rashid, when was the last time he batted? You know, he suddenly finds a way of getting yep. a few runs. You've got Tom Curran who always believes and has got a great man- mentality towards the game. Uh, and, and they get to a score of 231 and we all thought it was competitive, but then Labuschagne and Finch played with so much control and skill, particularly the way that they, they, they attacked Adil Rashid. I think we, we all felt that, that once Adil Rashid had been hit, it was going to be very difficult for England to win the game to get the amount of wickets but you know Chris Wokes found a way Joffrey Arch I thought was magnificent with the new ball man of the match has been confirmed he was magnificent he bowled with great pace Um, I'm surprised he's man of the match with what 
Chris Wokes did with his 26 <laughs> runs as well. Um, but, you know, all of that pack of uh, seam bowlers, Tom Curran just bowling the length, didn't get the wicket. Sammy's brother did. Um, but Australia, that's the second time now in the space of a, a week or so that they've collapsed from a winning position. And that's a real, real area of concern for Justin Langer and Aaron Finch. I'll say, and this, I said it during the day, that how Steve Smith doesn't get in this side, another say it's precautionary, how Steve Smith cannot get into that one-day team, I will never know. Well, he'll be playing on Wednesday, oh, Without surely. any question. Yes. He's got a bat at three. Stoinis has got to be removed from the side. Uh, they're trying a few things. Steve Smith is he's just too too good a player not to be playing in the 50-over team. And I know he got hit on the head and they're saying it's precautionary, but they'll say also they won on Friday. Uh, I'm sorry Steve Smith gets into any yes. white ball team for Absol- me for Australia. Absolutely. I was just looking at the screen to my right here. It's showing lots of, uh, sort of shaking of heads and, and forlorn faces in the Australian dressing room as the wickets fell. And just going through the wickets that, were, that, that fell, and I think it was particularly Maxwell's, a lot of them, you could see the, the replay, the reaction in the dressing room. It was just a straight ball, really, wasn't it? Yeah, that, straight ball. Yeah. You, you look at Pat Cummins. Yeah. You know, he played a nice shot off Adel Rashid. Suddenly he plays a, an almighty hack off Sam Crum when you've got a batsman in Alex Carey at the other end. Mitchell Stark comes out first ball and plays a, a huge shot when you've got Alex Carey at the other end. So the actual thought process about the chase, um, particularly when the pressure was on for Australia... Didn't look quite right for me, but England brilliant. You know, they just have this knack. I, you know, we were talking on commentary. They just looked like a team that had had too many weeks in the bubble. Yes, yeah, so they did. And actually. they did look like that. Yeah. And I don't think Owen had a great night as a captain. I don't think he was absolutely on his game. Yeah, uh, his bowlers got him out of a little bit of a hole, um, but they just find a way. And, and, and as I say, this England side—it's a great mentality to have. That when you get a sniff, mm. that you really enjoy it, and you can see they enjoy the tight situations and. They just know how to win. They've, they've won so many tight games. They've won so many key moments, whether it's been in Test Match Cricket, T20 Cricket, 50 over cricket. They've got a group of experienced players now that played a lot of white ball cricket that they just know how to win yeah. games of cricket. It's interesting, though, because it, it wasn't through noise and enthusiasm in the field. It wasn't tigerish in the field. It, they, they actually, their heads had dropped a bit. I mean, you're right, it worth saying they looked as if maybe they, you know, they'd take, gone a game too far. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they, they, they really, you know, we, we talk about this belief, but maybe realistically they thought, oh, I've got no chance here. We'll just have, yeah. a, we'll have a bit of a go and see where it takes us. I think the wicket of Finch, you know, Labashane, of course, uh, Finch is still out there and all of a sudden you get Mitchell Marsh. The wicket of Finch, you could see, uh, gave them a massive boost. Going to hear from Chris Wokes any moment now. I think I can see him down there. He's about to talk to Alison Mitchell when he gets uh, the go-ahead. Be interesting to hear what he has to say uh, about well, how Inga came, came back. And it was that spell of his along with Joffre Archer that had uh, turned things around. So I can see a television light there lighting him up, shining down on him. Of course, it's absolutely pitch black here. And let's join them now, Alison Mitchell and Chris Wokes. On those sort of wickets, I think we just always felt we needed to get up to a score, but I think you always probably feel that you're a little bit short. Um, But we just, I think we always believed, actually, with the ball. I think especially the way we started, um, we always felt like it was going to get harder and harder. And, um, you know, we just stuck to the task, tried to execute the skills of hitting a good length for as long as possible. Um, And we always felt that if we picked up a couple of wickets at a key time, then we would put them under some pressure and... You know, thankfully we did that. It was a brilliant second spell. How do you sense that you and Joffre Archer complement each other when bowling at opposite ends? Yeah, he bowls a lot quicker than I do. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I'm doing my thing at my end and, you know, and he clearly does his thing. But, um, you know, it's great to have someone like Joffre in your team because, you know, when you're a little bit up against it, you can, you know, give him the ball and you get that little bit of X factor from him, um, which is brilliant. Um, but obviously just me trying to do my other thing at the other end 
um, try and keep it as tight as possible and, and you know pick up the occasional wicket and, and put them under pressure. But you know, we got the ball moving a little bit, which helped. Um, you know, and we execute our skills. Did you feel that was going to be the key, just finding a little bit of movement off the surface at that stage? Yeah, I think so. I think we, you know, pretty much from the start, we decided to go cross seam to try and you know rough the ball up, uh, get one one side rough, and then see if we get any reverse. And thankfully, at some point, we did. Um, you know, that's when me and Joffre came back, and we got a little bit of sideways movement and. You know, that's when you try and cash in, and you know we did. What impact did the ninth wicket stand have at that stage? England looked like you know, struggled to get up to 200. Yeah, definitely. I think you know I, when I got out, I was you know disappointed. I felt like I could have you know built a, a partnership with Tom, uh, and at that point, I was probably thinking if we can get up to 200, we've got something to bowl at. So to get to 235, I think it was in the end, you know, was brilliant. Both Adil and um, and Tom, a fantastic partnership, and effectively has won us that game really. What does it say about the belief of the side to win from any position? Yeah, I think we've got great character in that dressing room. I think we never, you know, it's the reason why we obviously did so well in that four-year lead-up to the World Cup. Um, and obviously at the World Cup as well, you know, we, we've got that belief that we can win from any position with both bat and ball. And, um, you know, we showed we can do it with the ball today, um, you know, where at one point probably we looked a bit dead and buried. So, um, you know, great character in that dressing room for sure. Congratulations tonight, Chris. Well done. Thanks, Ali. There we go. That's uh, Chris Wokes with Alison Mitchell. Confidence is so much in, well, in all cricket, isn't it? But, but especially one-day cricket. And if you're not used to winning, you lose games like that. And yeah. if you are used to winning, you win games when it all seems lost. Yeah, and Australia have struggled, really, in, in one-day cricket for a, for a while now. Um, you know, they've won so many World Cups. You go back to 2015, they were fantastic. But you've always felt they've been a bit scratchy for two or three years. Um, I, I think there'll be a lot of England cricket fans out there wishing there was a, a Justin Langer kicking the bin gif <laughs> that they could put on social media. Yeah. Anyone that's seen the test, the, the documentary that followed the Australian team where he kicks the bin at Headley after the defeat, um, you can only imagine what Justin Langer's thinking. Yeah. I mean, seeing what he's just seen because he, he drives a very, very determined uh, ship. You know, I was walking around the ground, you could see the, the players this morning kind of practising hard. It's exactly what he demands. I think Owen Morgan might hear from uh, any second now. He's got into that interview slot down there on the boundary edge. So he'll be talking to Alison Mitchell any moment now when she gets the go-ahead. We're sort of simultaneously doing it. Here's Alison with Owen Morgan. Outstanding win. Um, from Not from nowhere, but you know, having you know, the bowlers to, to execute plans as well as we did, particularly when uh, Australia started to gain momentum in that strong partnership between Lavashane and Finch having Archer and Wokes very accurate consistent bowlers that can use reverse swing or, or potentially cross seam deliveries to try and dry up runs and create chances they did that perfectly well today and once we sort of broke into partnerships I think it was very difficult for batsmen to come in and, and get going certainly the case when we batted so our bowlers I think have made us look good today uh, still our batters need to learn to groove in innings on, on a wicket like this. It is the, the, the weakest side of our game. It's the reason that we want to play on slow wickets. Um, so hopefully we'll continue to learn in that regard. But we're, we're thankful that our lower order batting group and, and a few of the bowlers contributed with runs today because it really did make a huge difference towards the end. You had some important choices to make in terms of when to bring Archer and Wokes back. What was it that just made you say, this is the moment? Well, the game was running away from us and I sort of felt that it's no use having Joffre having two or three overs left and Wokesy having two or three overs left if Australia are going to chase it down the 42nd over. So sort of went all in and, and hopefully the plan was to try and bowl Australia out. 
it, it didn't work as quickly as we, we, we thought it would have or Australia would have won the game. Um, but it was nice for everybody to, to contribute in the bowling department. Testament to the skills of your bowlers, but you're also in a way surprised that we've seen two very dramatic Australian collapses. Yeah, I th- oh, here I think they can only answer what, what went wrong. Um, from our side, I give huge credit to our bowlers. Uh, they're a very strong side, Australia, and to create opportunities like we did and, and make inroads in that middle order is, is really outstanding. Uh, we saw in the previous game where their middle order was actually really strong. We found it difficult to, to, to make uh, create opportunities, but today was completely different. What do you still want to see from the batting, though? Because notable again, the power play, a bit of a struggle on this surface. Yeah, it's been extremely challenging. It's obviously a new surface um, in a few days' time. Um, but we're, again, we're hoping that it's slow and hopefully subcontinental-like uh, in order to try and expose ourselves and, and try, gain a little bit of rhythm. Because we, we've only been playing T20 cricket in the, uh, in the shortest form recently and you almost need to go back to gaining a little bit of rhythm and, and facing more balls out in the middle and establishing an, an innings as opposed to uh, a bit of a crash-bang wallop innings. And you'll have played in games where you've lost from winning positions. What sort of psychological impact could this have on the Australian dressing room? Here, again, I've, I've played in, in, in sides that sort of haven't had the rubber to green or, or continue to, to lose games that, are, that go tight. Um, I certainly know that winning them builds confidence within a change room and, and builds belief, so it'll do that in our changing room. Congratulations, Owen. Well done. Thanks, Ali. Thank you. Owen Morgan. And let's hear then from the Australian captain, Aaron Finch. When collapses happen like that, concentration out in the middle? Yeah, potentially. Uh, I'm sure guys, guys had their plans, and, and I thought guys stuck to their plans. Uh, they were just beaten, which is never ideal. Um, but at the end of the day, England were too good. Were you happy with your bowling effort, though? And there was the, the ninth wicket stand, which pushed England above 200 in the end. Yeah, they, I think it was one for 81 in the last 10 overs, which wasn't ideal. Um, on a wicket that we felt, if we executed really basic skills, it was going to be it was going to be a tough tough wicket to score boundaries on and uh, we probably just went away from that a little bit in the second half or oh, in, in that last 10 sorry how much of a concern is the the middle and the lower order i guess given what happened in the t20 as well oh the lower order the, their jobs to to bowl well um our job as batters is to get the runs and, and we didn't do that how do you reckon you'll be able to turn it around for the third game yeah we'll be good we'll be ready to go we look forward to it thanks Aaron. cheers thanks yeah, well, I think that uh, probably summed up uh, the mood of the Australian captain there. Pretty tight-lipped, wasn't he? Let's have a stat attack. It's been that sort of game. Yeah, great win for England. Um, it's the third time in the last four occasions that they've tried to defend a target between 200 and 260 that they've managed to win. They'd only done so in one of 12 before that. So that's three times in four since 2018. Um, six wickets between overs 31 and 40 inclusive. The first time England have taken six in overs 31 to 40, the first time Australia have lost six, which is about the weakness of Australia's middle order and tail exposed once again. Uh, the joint worst collapse for Australia for their third to sixth wickets, going for just three runs. Tom Curran, here's a nice, nice little one, scored 30 and went for less than 30 in his 10 overs, the first England player to do that since Graham Swan back in 2007. Before that, you've got to go back to Freddie Flintoff, who had uh, such matches four times in 2003. Um, Joffre Archer. 29 wickets in his first 16 ODIs. That's the second most for an England player after 16 games. One wicket behind Jimmy Anderson, level with Stephen Finn. Excellent, thank you. Uh, and 40 seconds, Michael, to look ahead to, to Wednesday. I wonder how much of a blow that is for Australia. And it's, it's going to be a fresh pitch. Yeah, fresh pitch. Uh, they'll pick themselves up. You know, teams generally do that. 
these days as uh, a few cons- concerns for England. Owen Morgan's just admitted to that. I like this idea of the, playing on these slower wickets to try and prepare for the World Cup. That's exactly what you want to do. If you want to go and win another World Cup, con- English conditions are completely different to India. So yeah. uh, here's probably the perfect venue to play on those kind of wickets. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. So Wednesday will be the final game of the men's international summer after six tests, six one-day internationals and six T20s. Managed to be played against four separate touring teams. It's a great effort to get the games on. It looked uh, at certain points unlikely we'd get any cricket played at all this summer. And as you know, the matches have been hosted at two grounds exclusively, the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton and here at Emirates Old Trafford. But how have these venues managed to deliver this? What were the numerous pitches to prepare, logistics to organise in unprecedented circumstances? Well, let's talk to the Hampshire chairman, Rod Bransgrove, who's uh, somewhere on the line and below the commentary box in the stands, Daniel Gidney. Hello, uh, Daniel, uh, the chief executive of Lancashire. Nice to have you both with us. Uh, Well, let's start with Rod. Come on, Rod. Can can you believe that we've seen uh, so many games completed? Um, no, I can't, frankly, and I, I can't believe that it's nearly over already. It seems to have gone <laughs> incredibly quickly, really. Um, I, I guess that uh, it's been so frenetic that time has passed very quickly, and um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud and pleased with uh, with what we've had the, the potential to do here this summer. Yeah, and Daniel, how about you? Here, I sitting in the sunshine at Old Trafford. Nobody in the ground, of course, but you've got another good game set up. Yes, absolutely fantastic, and welcome to sunny Manchester. I think it only rains in Southampton, doesn't it? This year? Oh, don't you, don't you two start up. <laughs> but no, we've 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 been absolutely thrilled this summer. It's been it's been really hard work. I've you know been doing this a while, and I've never had a summer quite like this one. And an international venue only normally does two to six days of international cricket, and it will be twenty one, which is really some going. And uh, you know, for what ourselves and Aegeus have done, I think. You know, can't really be understated. Really, I think it's it, it's been remarkable and been very, very challenging for us to do this for all sorts of different reasons. But look, we're here, we got through, and all credit must go to the ECB, but particularly the West Indies team and the Pakistan team, and now the Australians. But I, I go back to the, right at the start when the West Indies team had to come. They flew into Manchester Airport into the private terminal, and they had to quarantine here for two weeks. And they were just unbelievably fantastic to host. So I think. Going back to that start, what some of these teams have had to sacrifice to come here, huge credit to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here, here to that. Um, Rod, I remember ringing you up earlier on in the summer and saying, oh, come on, you know, what is the chance, do you think, of, of you being able to stage these test matches and being in the hotels and so on? And we had a good chat about it. And it seemed <laughs> even then that it, 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 was, it seemed a long way off for the, sort of the, 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 the reality of actually being able to do it and all the logistics and so on. When did it start? When did you start to really think? Actually, hang on a minute. There, there is an opportunity here for this to be done. Well, I guess I didn't, uh, not until we were actually appointed as one of the grounds with um, with Old Trafford to stage these matches. You know, uh, we've we've been um, overlooked so many times that it wouldn't have surprised me if it would have happened again. But um, but once we started work on it. Um, it was it was very clear that there was an enormous amount of new learning to be done, and you've actually stayed in both of the hotels, so you will see the extent to which we've had to modify um, the hotel business to make sure that we have one-way systems for pedestrians and protection in lifts and restaurants and the like. It's an extraordinary process that we've all gone through, 
and it's been very well led, as, as Daniel said, by Steve well Elworthy and the, the ECB team. But equally, you know, the groundsman at both grounds, uh, when you bear in mind also that our groundsman was having his first year at the Aegeus Bowl, yes. um, to, to be placed with the, those sort of demands in the first year is, is something quite extraordinary. And, and all of the other people on the operations side and the, the, that have worked so hard uh, with the ECB to make sure that we could deliver uh, these consecutive matches at, um, at just two grounds throughout the summer, it is actually a spectacular effort by all of these people. Daniel, when did it sort of dawn on you that actually you know, you'd get this, this huge responsibility up here? Well, I think when the ECB outlined and... I understood the importance and massive security for the game of getting the, uh, the matches on from a broadcast perspective and for the distributions for all first-class counties. I think we realised that uh, having a hotel, having invested in a hotel in a similar way to Hampshire had done was, was going to be helpful. But, you know, as Rod said, you know, none of us could take anything for granted. I think at that point, we, uh, Steve Davis, our ops director, put together a, a 50-page PowerPoint, which was really kind of us laying down th our thinking, initial thoughts of how we would do it. And that definitely saved us some time. The ECB did something similar, and then we effectively swapped notes. But, you know, over 100 risk assessments, as Rod says, you know, one-way systems, anti-back. It's test matches and one-day internationals are, are usually physically wearing for the teams, but this one's been very mentally wearing because you're constantly concentrating on very small things like, oh, I've touched a door handle that's got a red sticker on it. Yes. That means I have to immediately anti-back. Or, oh, I've gone down the wrong staircase. So it's constantly thinking and concentrating on stuff that you wouldn't normally think about at all. And, and I think that's been an element that's been very, very challenging. And then, you know, also support what Rod says about the ground teams. I mean, Matt Merchant's been here 30 years, but, you know, I don't think any ground anywhere in the world has ever done three test pitches back to back. No. And I think it, it's an astonishing achievement what the grounds teams have, have delivered, really. And um, I think it's something that, as a game, we can genuinely be proud of as a whole. Yeah, I'm looking at them now, actually, out the other, there again, rolling and and, 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 and getting everything organised uh, and so on. Did, did you, I mean, what's the feeling for both of you, and I'll start, let's start with Daniel this time, that you're actually doing this for the greater good? I mean, we'll get to the nitty-gritty and, and, and how much you might have made out of it, uh, or not, or lost, perhaps, uh, during the course of this chat. But was, was the main driver uh, the, 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 the fact that actually you were doing this for the, the whole game, Without doubt, Agus, I remember when Tom was in front of the DCMS committee and they talked about a potential loss to the game of the best part of £300 million, which, you know, that, could, that level could have seen some counties go bust. And I think when you think about it in that sense and the number of people that could lose their jobs across cricket, this became an imperative for the game as a whole to get these international days of cricket. Then it became a real collective purpose to say... How do we actually do this? Something that's never been done. And I think it, it did become something that was massively important for the whole game. And, and I have to say, the solidarity from, from my colleagues across the whole county network has been amazing. And the support that we've had, and there were even those venues that were due to host international cricket this year, everybody understood. Everybody understood that this was a singular one-off summer, that it was, it was about getting the games on and broadcast. And that was the priority. That's interesting, Rod, isn't it? Because it wasn't so long ago that you're almost all pitted against each other in terms of <laughs> having to bid against each other and so on to, to, to make it work. So have you felt that same solidarity? 
Oh, uh, without question. I mean, the, the, the relationship between Lancashire and Hampshire actually has been quite tight throughout this process. And I know that Daniel and my chief executive, David Mann, worked very closely um, when they were preparing for, for the fixtures. And, um, and we've, we've been wishing each other good luck throughout the whole series. Um, certainly, the greater good is, is uppermost in, in, in all of our minds throughout all of this. And, and in fact, the, I think I've mentioned to you before, the fees for staging the matches were very modest. We've done, we've done very well in the business sense. I'm not making any complaints about that. We've, we've had full capacity um, of use of the hotel for, for more than two months now. And, um, and that's helped us to, to reopen our, our hotel business. But the biggest um, plus of the whole um, situation was that um, we were able to rescue so much of what is the, the largest broadcasting um, rights um, agreement we've ever had um, with the various broadcasters and salvage an awful lot of what otherwise would have been lost income this year. So we're very proud of having done that for the whole game. What about the brief at the start? Because, I mean, obviously, yes, from experience, you know, we, we've, we've experienced both grounds and, and, and a lot of them both. And they're obviously very different. And here at Old Trafford, obviously, more or less in the middle of Manchester uh, compared to the Aegeus Bowl, outside and fresh. But then there are other aspects that have made others. You know, Old Trafford's got you know, good points to it uh, as well. But did, did you have the same sort of a brief and the same sort of idea of what you were going to provide as far as this bubble was concerned, and how it was actually going to work. Let's start with, let's start with you, Rod, on that one. Well, yes, I think that the, 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 the notion of the, the bubble, the biosecure bubble, was applied equally to both venues. Obviously, both venues have got different characteristics, different benefits, other things, but the truth is all of the grounds in the United Kingdom now are very, very good. They're excellent cricket grounds, all the international grounds, and um, it just happened that uh, we're the two grounds that have um, hotels which are integral to, to the whole stadium. And so we were able to comply more easily with the concept of, um, of a biosecure bubble. And for that, you know, we're, we're very grateful. And, and I think that the, the, the rules regarding that were essentially similar in, in both venues. I don't know whether Daniel feels that. Yes, very much so. I, I think the... The template was there. As I said, we'd done a 50-page PowerPoint. We'd work through with the ECB, but ultimately, you know, you're talking about multiple zones, one-way systems, socially distanced restaurant, perspex screens, PPE for all staff. You know, there was a template that was, you know, working closely with um, the, the public health uh, in both areas. For them. And really, once you kind of understand what the, the rules were, and, and also a lot of this was around providing confidence to the overseas boards to go, do you know what, we can do this safely. Mm. Um, and a, a thing that I think also massive credit to the ECB because of the cost was, um, was the regular testing. I think, you know, I think, like I said before we started, that, that whatever the venues did actually, core to this strategy was going to be an ECB commitment to do uh, weekly testing. And uh, they've done that and it's, it's been expensive. But without it, it these, uh, these days could not have gone ahead. So I think uh, you know, a combination of space for the overlay, for, for all of your thermal screening yes. and, uh, and everything, um, and the hotels, the space, the one-way systems, perspex screens and everything, and also the testing, I think a, a combination of those things has enabled this to happen. And what is definitely true of, of both grounds, and we, I can certainly say this, is that the, the attitude of the, of the people involved, the stewards, those who are doing all these tests, 
people who are sitting in these little booths monitoring temperatures all the time. It, you know, it's, it's infuriating at times, going around different parts of the ground, show your pulse, have your temperature tested. You know, but, OK, we've got used to it, but, but it's been done in such a, a very gentle, kindly way, actually, by, by all, the, all the staff from, from both grounds. That, that certainly helped. Yeah, I, I know Jason Holder was particularly taken with uh, our 80-year-old Stan the Legend Pritchard. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> well, what we have got to do, do is which, which COVID testers to go to and which ones to avoid. And believe me, there is a little list from both grounds as to the ones that we've, we've, we've definitely avoided over this, this last three months, months or so. How about entertainment for the players? Um, what, what, what did you try and lay on down at um, the, the Aegeus Rod to, to give them something to do? Well, obviously, we had some um, in, internal um, entertainment with pool tables and dartboards and various other activities um, to just occupy minds for, period, for, the, for the evenings and the like. But, of course, we've, we've also got the, the benefit of a lot of space around the, the, um, the ground and plenty of practice areas and walking areas. And, and fundamentally, I think what was very popular with the players and the officials alike was the, was the golf course which oh, they were yes. able to, to play on, subject to, to booking times and what have you. And well, I just think walk that, around it, actually, was, was good enough. Yes, I think, I think any, any space to, to, to walk around, get away from the, from the interior feeling of the bubble, um, was, was beneficial. And, um, and I, you know, I've been getting quite a lot of uh, letters and notes back from some of the players and officials that, that used the, the, the golf course and, and some of the other entertainments and, um, and really found that a, a great break. From, from the sort of the, 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 the feeling of being stuck inside the bubble all of the time, and which I think was slightly relaxed towards the end. I think one or two people managed to get out to go fishing and, and various other um, activities to restaurants and variously. But, uh, but generally speaking, being cooped up inside anywhere for a long period of time is, is always going to be difficult if you don't have things to distract you. Very true. And, Danny, what have the players had here? We've got a very nice dartboard uh, over there in the Red Rose Suite that we've made plenty of use of at a table tennis table, for which we're very grateful, thank you. Um, what, what, what have the players had? Yes, well, the, the players have had a number of things here, you know, your usual kind of racing car and golf simulators. And, and you know, I know the West Indies love their dominoes. Uh, yeah, right. So, um, But, you know, different things. I know, I know that the, the BBC had, did have a particularly aggressive table tennis tournament, if I remember rightly, one night. Um, which uh, was quite entertaining. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, one of our big things here was that, uh, that, that we got some fantastic products for the food. I mean, the West Indies loved our um, red pea soup, which I think the chef right. got a bit fed up because he was asked to make it like eight days in a row. <laughs> um, and then the Pakistan team loved their homemade rotis. So, uh, you know, I think we, it's very difficult. And, you know, when you think about these young guys who are effectively um, cooped up for a long period and... And so it's just trying to understand, you know, what are the things that they can do, whether it's a particular type of um, food choice or a particular type of, um, of playing or, or entertainment relaxation. And it's just trying to do what, what you can and listening and, 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 you know, being able to, to do different things at different times. Yeah. There is, of course, a bottom line to all this, and we talked a bit about you know, for, for the greater good, if you like. But, Rod, let's start with you. As, as far as... Um, you know, the bottom line there is concerned. Are you, are, will, will you have made money out of doing this? Um, <clears throat> I, I don't think we would have made a spectacular amount of money. I think the hotel would have, would have um, washed its face in a little bit more. But, um, but, but frankly, the, the, the stadium itself was, was really uh, offered 
largely on an on-cost basis. And, and in fairness, you know, the ECB picked up all the costs. Um, so from that point of view, we, we benefited from, from staging these matches, not only sort of from the reputation point of view, but, uh, but clearly, you know, a certain amount of financial gain, um, particularly in the hotel business. But what it also enabled us to do was to, if you like, cash flow the reopening of the hotel, which otherwise would have been quite a big burden for us. So, so I think it's been beneficial all round, but, but hopefully, um, in, in the major sense, beneficial for the game as a whole. Yes. Interesting you mentioned reputational there, because I, I know you've, 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 you've battled to get test cricket staged regularly there at the AGS Bowl. Well, you, you couldn't have done any more this time than to show that you're more than capable of doing so. I'd, li- I'd like to think so, Agus, and, um, you know, and I think that the, the, the ECB recognised this, but let's, let's just always remind ourselves that we now have you know, seven very, very good test match grounds, and, um, and the six that get the, the fixtures don't particularly want to give them away. So you know, there is some competitive tension there, but I'd like to think that that, that club, if you like, might be increased now to seven, and, um, and we'll have a role, because I'm not quite sure. But um, biosecurity, I don't think we've seen the last of biosecurity no. uh, in international sport. So, so we may be called you know, into action again sometime in the future. Yeah. And Daniel, how about you as, as far as the club and finances go? Yeah, very similar to Rod. Obviously, the template was the same from the ECB. Very much on stadium-wise was on a, on a cost-plus basis, cost-recovery basis. I think the hotel obviously benefited. I think, and, and actually, one of the other things that's helpful there is, is, is people have seen, you know, the hospitality industry has been decimated with, you know, you think of the, the mental health issues of staff being on furlough for five months. And actually, for us to actually be able to give our staff work, I think, has been something that has been fantastic for those individuals. So I think definitely from a hotel and the hotel staff side of it, we've, uh, we've benefited. And I think another thing that people underestimate is, is actually, you know, when you've got um, significant sponsors such as Aegeus and Emirates, actually has been able to give significant value back to them in a, in a very difficult year when, you know, whatever organisation you are, um, a lot of sponsors and partners are, are often asking for money back. And, you know, we, we've been absolutely delighted with the support we've had with Emirates and our major partners. And I think that's something that is that has really, really helped us, no doubt. Well, they've certainly had the opportunity to be name-checked, haven't they, let's face it, over the course of... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just looking at the ground staff trudging off again. I mean, how, how do they map out these pitches as well, Daniel? I mean, yeah, this one looks a bit tired, but I'm not surprised. I mean, it, they, they've staged those three, three consecutive test matches on here. Did, did they sort of map them all out at the start? Yes, they do. It, I mean, to be fair, they've, they've, they've been doing this a long time. You know, last year with the World Cup, we had a very similar issue. We had more days than anybody else. I think it was seven, and including two semi-final days if you remember and it's so the guys the guys have been doing it a long time uh, the, the, the challenge comes when you have multiple tv pitches because you know uh, it's all about camera positions and sometimes you might have to you know put one on a box balcony which i think we've had to do this year so you create a tv pitch out of nowhere so i think it, it is very difficult but um, i'm incredibly proud of them and you know particularly with the three back-to-back test pitches i yes. think um it was England three opposition nil, I think it was, and that was that was a really remarkable effort by by, by the ground staff. Um, you, you mentioned Rod about you, know, this, you haven't seen the seen the end of biosecure uh, sport and bubbles and, and, and cricket and so on. But would you would you do it all again? Um, if asked, yes, of course, and um, you know, and I think that there's a, there is the potential in future for for um, touring sides to 
be concerned about travelling the country and staying in, in hotels until such time as there is you know, a, a viable vaccine for um, the coronavirus or COVID-19. So, you know, we're sort of semi-standing by to see if we need it next year and, um, and, and any time in the future. I, I think, you know, having provided such safe and secure um, options for the, tra- the travelling sides this year, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, some teams may say, well, you know, the current status of this um, pandemic we still feel that we need some kind of protection to to to, tra- to travel to other countries. Yes, I mean it's it's difficult to see it happening without a hotel on site. Would you agree with that, Rod? Well, it, it's very difficult to make it work without a hotel on site. You know, I, I don't mm. particularly want to start. You know, it's, this isn't a promotional um, campaign for for the Aegeus Bowl. I think it does give us a very unique role um, where biosecurity is is required, together with um, Emirates Old Trafford. So, you know, I think that we we have that up our sleeve, um, and we're more than happy, obviously, to to provide um, to host these matches wherever wherever possible. Um, but equally, I think we'd all like to see a return to the status quo at some stage, whatever that is in future, um, and, and make sure that, that all these amazing grounds are being properly used. Yeah. I suppose my last question to, to both of you, really, Dan, I'll start with you, is, 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 is can the game survive uh, another summer like this or many more summers like this? I mean, the broadcasting contract is obviously in place, but... Uh, much of that was built around the 100, which they're hoping is obviously going to start next year, a, a year late. What, what are your thoughts? Yes, I, I believe so. I think the thing I've learnt about uh, the industry of cricket is that we're collectively very resilient and that we have clever, creative people and that we are problem solvers. And, and so I absolutely believe that, that we will make it work, whatever it is. I think if you take the international venues, one of the big challenges, particularly over the upcoming winter, is is you know confusion around the rules around business events and conference and events and that that's that's big parts of our businesses you know for us and mm. the AGS and I think the thing that that Rod and I can talk about is that you know by doing behind closed doors which has 300 350 people in a complicated indoor environment safely um, you know that there's actually a lot that we can share with the rest of the game in terms of how we can um, keep those taps on those lights on from that conference and events business and you know with our safe in one place element in terms of the conference piece it's really important to be able to to pay the bills over the winter for for these uh for, for us larger venues in cricket and but i do believe that that we can and we will well our thanks to the hampshire chairman rod bramsgrove and daniel gidney the chief executive of lancashire not just for joining us earlier but also for their hospitality all summer. You can watch the highlights of the dramatic second one-day international on the iPlayer and the BBC Sport website. The next cricket is a T20 blast commentary on Monday, including the London derby and the Roses match. And then we'll have the last men's international match of the summer from Wednesday. We're on air at 12.45. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live.